In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. God willing, today we're going to continue studying in the book of Exodus. Last time we did chapters 11 and 12. Does anyone remember what the main the main points we discussed last time? What, what happened last time? The last plague, which is the death of the firstborn son. Good. Which, which the Jews, um, from that point on, they celebrated, and it was called the the Passover, right? And then, what is the the the, the major event that happened? Is that the um, the the Hebrews they finally after um, after um, instituting the first Passover, uh, they they left Egypt. Okay, so that's where we left last time. So we are going to start in chapter thirteen. It says then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Consecrate to me all the firstborn." Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. This is the first commandment that God gave to the Hebrews after they left Egypt. Why is he saying this? Because the firstborn and during the Passover, they were saved. Right. Because the firstborn were saved. Right, who is it that was supposed to die? It was the firstborn. The firstborn of all of the Egyptians died, including the people, including the animals, everybody, the firstborn. So now God is saying those who have been saved, who have been redeemed, right, and, and saved from this plague are now to be consecrated to God. Okay? They are consecrated. They are to be considered by God as the first fruit. They are like the, 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 the first fruit, like, like when you have like a harvest, the first of the fruit that comes from the harvest is called the first fruit. And God would request that of all of the offerings, the people would always offer the first fruit. So later on when the Lord institutes the, the, the different offerings, and he would always say, give me the best, give me the first fruit, right? So here, these are the first fruit of those who have been saved, and they are to be consecrated um, to God. This is also why, you know, some people when they, um, when they maybe they, they get a new job or they get a promotion or something, they take the first paycheck that they receive and they donate that whole paycheck as a donation to the church because it is the first fruit. It is the first check, the first paycheck that I receive uh, and I give it to God as a way of showing like thanks to God for everything that he has done. Um, also, it is through the first fruit that the whole is consecrated, right? So for instance, when God says, that we are to, to give our tithes and that he would bless us. So we give the first fruit, right? And then God will bless the rest. In Romans 8.29, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And this is here what he's saying, Consecrate to me all of the firstborn, right? The one who is the firstborn is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the firstborn. Right? He is the one who was begotten of the Father, and he is the first one to enter into paradise, leading the way for us. This is why when the Lord uh, died and went into Hades, he brought up those who were in Hades, and he entered into paradise. So he is like uh, a prototype of the resurrection. Right? He is the first one to be resurrected, and we see in him the resurrection that we ourselves will one day experience. Okay? Um, Another interesting thing uh, about this, about this consecration, is that, and we'll see this later on, but 
Um, you know, who is it that were the people that were consecrated to God for, for, for special service in the Old Testament? The Levites. Okay, and do you know why the Levites were chosen? Because Moses and Aaron are from the tribe of Levi? Mm, no. And actually, before the Levites were chosen, who was chosen? No, the firstborn. So from the very beginning, who are the first people that God chose to consecrate? To him, the firstborn. Later on, and, and I think we I'll mention it later on, but later on, actually, God rejects the firstborn, and he chooses instead the Levites. And I'll, I'll show you where that happens, okay? So it says, And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of, the ha of hand, the Lord uh, bought you out of the, brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day, you are going out in the month of Abib. Remember, we said that the leavened bread, the leaven represents sin. And so he always spoke about how we should not eat leaven, right? The feast of the unleavened bread, which is seven days long. They would purge out all of the leaven from their homes. They wouldn't eat any leaven, representing their purity and, 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 and rejection of sin. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey that you shall keep this service in this month. So he's reminding them again of the commitment, the, 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 the command of God that he said that they would uh, practice this Passover in the month of Abib, which is the first of the month, uh, the, the first month of the year, sorry, um, every year, okay? And, and he's saying you are always to do this as a remembrance, right? No matter where we are in life, we are always to remember where we came. Like in to see the hand of God working and how he was bringing us from one era of life to the next, to the next, to the next. And you can see the plan of God. Maybe we don't see the plan of God in kind of microscopically when we are looking at a very close up view. But when you zoom out, you see everything. It's kind of like if you take like an icon, for instance, and you get like a microscope and you try to look in one small little part of the icon and you look at it and it doesn't look like anything and you can't tell what it is. Right, but then when you begin to zoom out a little bit more, more, and more, then you begin to see like the whole picture, right? And so sometimes in our life also, when we are focusing very much on specific events and specific things and the things that were happened to be going through at the time, they don't look like anything. They don't make any sense. But when you zoom out and you begin to look at our whole life as a as 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 a whole, you begin to see things that you didn't otherwise see or notice. And this is. The, like to remember, like look at how, how where we were five years ago, ten years ago. Where is it that God has taken us and where is it that he will continue to take us? So again, he is promising them again, I'm taking you out of Egypt and I'm going to take you to this land that is flowing with milk and honey, right? This is the promised land for them. And they are to remain holy and pure in this land. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread and on the seventh day there shall be a feast of the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. So this is again passing the faith from one generation to the next generation, right? How is it that the children who grow up in a place that's very different from where their ancestors came from, 
How are they going to remember or know or be aware of what is it that God has done for his people from the beginning? Yeah, those people who were alive when this happened, they have a memory of it. But what about the next generation who are not there? What about the generation of people that were born in the wilderness that's going to come next, like this, the next phase that's coming for the, for, the, for the Israelites? Those people who were born in the desert, that was their whole existence. That's their whole life. They don't know anything else. They don't know about being in Egypt. They don't know about the promised land. They don't know. All they know is they're born in the desert, right? And, and they're eating from the manna that comes from heaven, and this is it. This is their life. And, and yet, God wants them to know. He wants them to learn. This is why we teach our children the faith. This is why we tell people about the, the history of the church. This is why we tell them like the story of salvation. This is why we tell them about everything that's happened in the past and everything that's in the Bible so that they would be instructed in the faith and that it would become their faith and not just the faith of some elderly people that used to, used to live. Instead, it's my faith because I understand it and I believe it myself. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. Okay, again, this is the commandment of keeping the Passover for the instruction um, of all of the younger generations to remember what it is that happened in the Passover uh, at the beginning. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck and all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be, when your sons ask you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Okay? So what is this system of the firstborn? The firstborn is like a very important concept in Israel, okay? What do we know about the firstborn? The firstborn, we know that they have been redeemed by God and consecrated to him because they are the ones who have been saved at the time of the Passover and not to be killed, okay? The firstborn, they were to receive double the inheritance of everyone else. So the eldest son, right, if the father dies and all of the, the, the sons are to inherit, the eldest son gets a double portion of the inheritance compared to all the others. The firstborn, he was also the one considered to be the heir. So, for instance, if the father is a king, who is it that would become the next king? It would be the firstborn. The firstborn is also offered to the Lord. For instance, like Samuel the prophet, whenever Hannah, his mother, she prayed and asked God for a son, and she said, I will dedicate him, I will, I will, I will give him to God for the service of God. And this was a, a sign of the dedication and consecration of the entire family to the Lord. Like we said about the first fruits. The first fruit that opens the womb, I give to God. And in this way, the whole family is consecrated and the whole family is blessed. Yes. 
the word you used. I don't want to. I don't want to incorrectly say, but disown like he disowned the firstborn. Was that with? Uh, if I remember correctly, was it with Reuben? Uh, that happened with yes, with Reuben, um, because of the sin that he fell into. Was it Reuben or Simeon? Reuben, I it think. Was Reuben. Reuben. Um, yes, that was an example of where he lost his um, he lost his birthright. birthright. He lost his status of being the firstborn, and it was given and said to Joseph. Okay, that's why Joseph has two tribes under under his name, and Reuben does not. Okay, because so he's he got the double inheritance. I, I I got that, but what is so. So is, is this the reason that the Levites were given, like, w why, like as to why they were the chosen like tribe to become priests? No, I will get to that. Okay. Cool. I, I, if, if I don't get to it, I'll explain it. Okay. But I think we're going to get to it here. Cool, thank um, you. Yeah. Um, so what else did he say? He said the firstborn animals were also to be sacrificed to God. Right, again, the first fruit. The firstborn is consecrated to God, and th they are sacrificed. Okay, so the firstborn of the clean animals. What happens to the firstborn of the unclean animals? What did it say about the unclean animals? Can we go read that again? They get to be redeemed by a sheep. Yes, but every firstborn of a donkey, a donkey is an unclean animal, you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Okay? So, so, so if you have an unclean animal, an unclean animal is an animal that cannot be sacrificed. Right? It is not, it is not an, an animal that God accepts as sacrifice. So in its place, you have what? A lamb. A clean animal that you offer as a sacrifice in its place. And if you will not do so, then you will kill the animal. You will break its neck. And this breaking of the neck represents like the sinner who is not redeemed um, except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the, the donkey represents the person who is a sinner, right? Who cannot be redeemed in of himself, but he's only redeemed through the sacrifice of another who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah, so actually here, this is where I explain this about the Levites, okay? After Moses came down from Mount Sinai, okay, um, after he received the Ten Commandments, what is it that he found? Aaron made a golden calf, and people were worshiping it, okay? Um, so this is what it says in Exodus 32. It says, Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about three thousand men of the people fell that day then Moses said consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his brother so on this day the people that 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 volunteered to be on the Lord's side to execute the justice of God which meant to go into the camp and to kill those people who were sinning and wicked those people were 
among the Levites. And so for that reason, God chose the Levites. Okay, And the Levites replaced the firstborn as like the consecrated chosen ones. Okay, Because many of the firstborns were the ones actually who were also sinning. Okay, It says in Numbers 3, verse 11, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be mine because all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both men and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. So it doesn't mean that the firstborn are no longer have any place or have any status because the, f- the concept of the firstborn remained an important one in throughout uh, Israel. But the Levites, it says what? I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel as the consecrated servants, as the one who are consecrated for the service of God. And that's the point where it became the Levites instead of the firstborn who were the original consecrated ones. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God knew that these people were not very deep in their faith. And he knew that the, the first chance that they had, because they were afraid, the first chance that they had to go back to Egypt again, they would take it. So he was worried that if they happened to see like in the nations and the lands that they were traveling to, that there was war and there was people that was fighting and all this, that they would be afraid and go back. Yeah. Sorry, but back to the donkey being uh, redeemed by the sheep. Like the donkey would also be uh, be representing the Gentiles, like being the the unclean animal, like the Gentiles, like the uncircumcised, the uncircumcised, like being redeemed by Christ as well. Yes, that yeah, it would apply to to everyone, right? It would apply to anyone who is a sinner, which we all are. And the Gentiles were certainly like um, not considered at that time to be the people of God. So they are being redeemed by the same Lamb that the the Israelites also would be redeemed by. So so here, God is taking them by another path, okay so that they do not see the war and and want to return to Egypt again. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. You know, some people ask the question of, why is it that God cannot just tell us the future? Why can't he just tell me what is going to happen to me in the future? Because I want to know what my future looks like. Maybe all of us would be very curious. And if we had the option, that we could hear and know what our future is, maybe we would jump on it. This is why people want to go to like psychics and this stuff because they want to know like what their future is, right? But if we were actually to find out what our future is, maybe it would terrify us. Maybe it would paralyze us. Maybe we would feel unprepared to, to deal with those things in our future that are going to come because God has not yet prepared us for that future. Like, like God prepares us for every step, right? So, so if God tells us 10 steps from now what it is that life is going to be like, and I look at it and I'm overwhelmed by it, okay, well, maybe that's because today I'm not yet prepared to do, to do that, whatever it is that God is asking me to do or to endure or to whatever it might be. So God only tells us immediately now. 
He doesn't tell us about the next thing. Notice at no point in time here did he even explain to anyone any details about what he was doing. He didn't tell them any, even Moses, you know, what I mean, Moses, he would tell him a little at a time. He says, I will take the people out and I will take them to a land of milk and honey. So give me more details. What do you mean? Like if this was us and you're, and you're someone is asking me to completely leave my country and travel and wander in the desert, um, without any place to live and without any food and provisions and this stuff, most of us would probably have more questions that we want answered before we would agree to do something like that. I mean, we, we, we research and try to find everything before buying a toaster. Like before we do the most menial, trivial things, we try to r research as much as possible just so that we know what to expect. God does not offer any kind of Google where you can Google the future of what is he's planning to do. So, so, at every phase of this, he is like, God is just leading them exactly like sheep, right? The shepherd does not tell the sheep what is the next step because the sheep cannot comprehend that anyway. All the sheep can comprehend is turn left or turn right or go straight. Th that's the only thing the sheep knows how to do. If you try to tell the sheep two steps, three steps ahead, they're, they're not very smart animals, right? Like they can't figure that out. That's why we are like that. So, so here God does not, number one, he hasn't explained. And two, he knows that the moment they see any kind of resistance or any kind of challenge or trial or problem or, or danger, the first reaction that they have is to run away, right? And so this is, this is not how God wants us to stay. This is like a very, like, you know, the minimal, um, the minimal level of faith where essentially if God tells me to do something, I will do it. But the moment that I find challenge or danger or whatever, I run away. Um, but and God wants to build the faith of Israel, okay? Um, and we'll see Moses in his reaction to everything that is about to happen um, because, because he's definitely very much changed from how he used to be. Do you have a comment? Um, before you refuted it, I was going to say that God did reveal some details at the burning bush to Moses and like with that like even Moses was reluctant to go yeah I mean God gave a basic idea but he didn't explain all the details where we're gonna go how's it gonna happen when is it gonna happen um, a lot of questions that maybe we, we would ask it might have made him even more reluctant maybe so and you know and if he told him that he was gonna be an arch prophet having to lead millions of people in the desert for 40 years then definitely yeah he would have said no um, so it says, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. This was actually to fulfill the promise that was made to Joseph at the time before he died, that Joseph asked that when, and when the day would come that the people would be led out of Egypt, because in faith, Joseph believed that this would happen, because Joseph knew that, that they were only in Egypt there for a temporary time, and ultimately, they would inherit the land of Canaan, which is what God had promised his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph knew this. And so he told them, even as he is dying, whenever you leave this land, take my bones with you. And that is what Moses did. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. Now, see, if you're like a person in, of, of the Israelites now, you should be getting a concept, an idea here, that God cares about us, right? Like God, God persisted in all the plagues. 
you know, in order to free us. And finally, after these 10 plagues that keep escalating, that, that are only affecting the Egyptians, we are now free. And God asks us to plunder our neighbors and taking their articles of gold and silver so that now we are taking all this with us. And that now, even as we're beginning our journey, there is this pillar of cloud that leads us in the day and a pillar of fire which leads us in the night, which there is no, you know, there's no other explanation for, right? Except to say that God is with us and God is protecting us and God is helping us, okay? It doesn't mean we understand him. It just means that we see that he's doing good for us. It doesn't mean that we understand but he, he's doing good for us. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Okay, From a spiritual perspective, God is illuminating us. Right, The Holy Spirit is a guide to us. God illuminates and guides our way, whether it is during the day where things are appearing clear or whether it's during the night when things are dark and unknown. Right, The day represents um, like when something is clear and obvious. And the night represents when things are hidden and unknown and mysterious, right? God is, 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 is guiding us in whether it's in the day or in the night. Also, St. Paul says to the Corinthians um, in 1 Corinthians 10 about how uh, the cloud and the fire represent baptism, just as the crossing of the Red Sea also represents baptism. He says, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. We are enlightened by God through baptism, right? Sorry, that's my note. We are <laughs> enlightened by God through baptism. Um, notice that this is the first thing that happens to them uh, right after they leave Egypt. So if you look at it from the spiritual perspective again, Pharaoh represents who? Satan. And so Egypt represents like the world, the dominion of Satan, sin, wickedness, okay? And the people who are slaves in Egypt are slaves of sin, okay? The first thing that happens as they leave this domain of Satan, as they leave this domain of sin and slavery, is they are baptized, right? Because the baptism is the turning point. The baptism is the beginning of a completely different journey, that instead of being a slave of sin, that now I begin a journey to the promised land. Okay, begin a journey to the promised land. And in this analogy, the wandering in the wilderness represents the spiritual struggle, right? There is a spiritual struggle that we go through in order to reach the promised land. But it all starts with the baptism, and this is what is happening here. That just as from a historical perspective, the crossing of the Red Sea became the beginning of the nation of Israel, became like the founding event that defined Israel and define the relationship and the love that God has for the Israelites in a, in a very obvious and physical and visible way that they could understand it. So also from a spiritual perspective, our baptism represents to us and it is to us the very beginning of our, of our walk with God, the very beginning of us becoming redeemed by God and becoming children of God and the beginning of our Christian life. So in this sense, the, the symbolism of baptism right for the Red Sea is, is very applicable. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Hiroth between Migdol and the sea, opposite Baal-Sephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. <coughs> For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land, the wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart 
so that he will pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and they did so. So what do you think about, why is God doing this? And think of like three reasons, three three things that are going to happen because of this. What is one of those three things that God is accomplishing by this act? Like the the other nations would hear about it, and like they would like they would know to fear the Israelites. So yeah. So so to glorify God and to uh, like who is the God of the Israelites, right? So so that all people would know, and it specifically says here that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Like, God is not just doing this to make a show. Like, and he's not just doing this to show power for no reason. He's doing it because he wants even the Egyptians to know that he is the Lord. Because like we said before is, God cares about the salvation of everyone. He's, he's not, he doesn't hate the Egyptians, and he's just wanting to destroy them, right? All of the plagues were signs to both the Hebrews and to the Egyptians that he is God and that he is greater than the gods of Egypt and that he wants even the Egyptians to see and realize that he is God. Okay, what else? Yeah, so it's a destruction of evil, right? God is demonstrating his authority and his power over evil. That Pharaoh, which would have been considered one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful human being at the time, who was considered also a god, who was, you know, a king over the most powerful kingdom in the world at the time, who, who could command so much, and yet God is showing him that he can destroy him, that he has power over him, and he's showing us that there is nothing that God cannot overcome. There is nothing that God does not have victory over. So from the spiritual perspective, God is telling us that he has power over evil. He has power over sin. He has power over any kind of addiction or slavery to sin that we have in our life and that he is able to destroy it. And, and the thing that we are called for is to obey him. Like we are, we are called to follow him, right? And he leads us in whatever way we can go. Good. The last point I would say about it is that God is showing his love to the Hebrews, Right, he's showing them how much he cares about them. They are not obscure or or, or or strangers to him. He knows them all. Like we spoke before about how God puts the names of of all of the people. Like you have those chapters, just a bunch of names, 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 names. You know, and, and to us maybe it seems like it's boring to read, but imagine if that was your name. Like imagine if you were reading the book of the books of Moses and you saw that your name was written there. Like God didn't forget you. Like you weren't you weren't like someone who you felt like, okay, I'm not important enough or maybe God doesn't even think about me or care about me. But he actually enumerated me on this list of names of people that he redeemed, of people that he cares about, of people that he is saving, right? Like that would have such a big impact on, on a person to see their name there. Like imagine if God were to open like the book of life and then he will show all of the names in the book of life and you see your name there among the names. Like it's a very powerful experience to see that God does not forget even a single person. Like he said, he does not even, like the shepherd who does not forget even a single of his sheep. So, so God here is showing again and again that he cares about the Hebrews and he is seeking their salvation. Okay. 
Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against his pe- against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? How quickly it is um, that the people now like uh, forget. How easy it is for forget. Why is it that you have done this? It's because your whole country is destroyed because you haven't let them go. That's the reason. Like, and the reason is pretty simple, right? The, the reason is not complicated. But because their, their minds had been so blinded by wickedness and blinded by sin that even the most basic, simple, common sense, obvious things, they could not see. And this is, again, a reflection of our society, right? There are some things that you see happening and you just think about it. And it's like, how could anyone think this? How could anyone do this? How could anyone think that this makes sense even of what to do? And yet we see people all over in the world in every place doing things that make absolutely no sense at all, that are self-destructive, that, that are not helping anyone, that clearly there is evidence to show that this has never worked before. Why are you trying it again? Why, why, are, you, why are you changing the, la- the names and the labels of things? Why, why, why are you s- like declaring something that is one thing to be the opposite thing? Why? You know, and, and, and we look at it, and this is the reason, you know. Like, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? The answer to anyone is clear. A child can come up and answer this question and explain why is it that we have let them go. And yet these servants of Pharaoh and Pharaoh himself don't know the answer to this question. They don't, they don't, they don't see the answer to this question. And they think that the, the moment that the suffering has ended or the moment that there is no immediate threat, now I can go back to th- my previous behavior again, and maybe everything will be fine, right? This is the nature of addiction, right? Like in, in addiction, it's like there are times where you acknowledge that something is so damaging to you um, in kind of your sober moments. But when the temptation comes upon you, there is no sober thinking. There is no, uh, there is no rational thinking. It's you are, you are compelled. You are compelled by your passion, by your addiction to do something and here pharaoh who has this addiction for power and authority and control and 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 not to be one-upped by anyone and 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 not to let anyone overcome him or 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 be more clever or smarter than him um cannot let go of this passion cannot let it go he doesn't want to go down in history as the one who allowed this nation to leave so he's thinking to himself how can we get them back maybe now we, God is not going to stop us. We'll be able to overcome him. So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. So he was taking like the whole army. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. The children of Israel went out with boldness. Until they saw Pharaoh coming, right? Like there was, a, there was a sense of victory among them. There was a sense of rejoicing among them that God was leading them out of Egypt. They were, they were celebrating the Passover. They saw how much God was, you know, caring for them. They took all the gold and silver. They went out and it was like a moment of triumph, right, for the, the Israelites, okay? But then we will see that the moment they see Pharaoh approaching again, they, 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 they become so afraid, Right, they become so afraid, which says something. Um, we'll get to that in a second. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea be- beside Pi Hiroth, before Baal Sephon. 
And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? The first point that they said here, when it says what they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. That's good. You know, there's nothing wrong with being afraid when you are threatened. And there's definitely nothing wrong with crying out to the Lord. That's what they should do. But then you see in them, uh, like, a sense of of uncertainty, of of terror, of complaining and grumbling against God, against complaining against Moses, his prophet, as looking to God as though he doesn't know what he's doing, um, attributing to God that this whole mission has been a disaster. Why didn't you just let us die before in Egypt? Uh, or why didn't you just let us uh, to remain as slaves in Egypt? Why did you have to bring us up here um, so that we can die here? If we had to die, we would have rather died in our homes. We'd rather died in Egypt. Why did you come here? So they have assumed there has been defeat already, right? They have assumed that there is defeat. Even though they have seen God have victory over Pharaoh and his army countless times, yet this time when they see again a threat from Pharaoh, they assume defeat. Like, you know, it's like a slave who sees their, their master coming, feels that their master has such authority over them, has such control and power over them. And the moment that they see him, they're afraid because they don't realize that God has broken his power. He doesn't have power over you anymore, right? And this is the, the, the nature of being freed from sin. When, when the Lord says that the son will make you free indeed, to be free indeed means that the, what used to be enslaving me is no longer enslaving me. What used to have power and control over me no longer has control and power over me. So that even though the, the Israelites... They see Pharaoh, who is Satan, who is their master who of when they were enslaver, enslaved. They see him from a distance, but he doesn't have any control to enslave them again, which is why we're going to see God is going to destroy them before he even gets close to them. He doesn't have any authority or power. So God is saying that when we are transformed, when we are saved, when we are redeemed, we do not have to feel like we are under the bondage of sin. He came to, to free us from the bondage of sin. <coughs> and then they go on after grumbling. They said, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Right? This is the very first trial that they experience after leaving Egypt. Right, the first trial they experience. And from the very beginning, they're already grumbling against Moses. They're losing their faith. They're doubting God's plan for them, complaining against God. And even the ten plagues that happened were not enough. You know, and at this point, you can kind of see, like, if you were in the place of God, you see, like, those ten plagues, what did they do? The, the Egyptians didn't learn their lesson because they still think that they have a chance to win. The Hebrews didn't learn their lesson because they still think that, the f that Pharaoh is going to defeat them. And the only person, as we were going to see now, who is faithful is Moses, right? And it says, and Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Now, remember, Moses also used to be a grumbler. Moses is the one who didn't want to go. 
And he kept saying, saying to God, send somebody else. And, and he kept arguing with him. And that even when he came to, to Egypt and he went and talked to Pharaoh for the first time and all that Pharaoh did is he increased the workload on the people, he, then Moses said, why have you sent me here? You have not helped your people at all. In fact, things have gotten worse. But now you see Moses to be a changed person. That after he saw the work of God and after he saw the plagues and after he realized the power of God and the, and the mercy of God and the love of God, that he now... Maybe the only person in this whole group of people, whether it be the Egyptians or whether it be the Hebrews, that he understands God and he understands what's happening. And he understands that no one can defeat God because Moses himself could not defeat God, defeat him in the sense of, you know, impose his own will on God. No one can impose their will on God. No one can tell God what to do. If God decides that Moses is going to go, Moses is going to go. It doesn't matter what you think. If, if God decides that the Israelites will be free from Egypt, the Israelites will be free. It doesn't matter what anyone does. And the, the, when we begin to accept God's will, we find peace. But when we try to work against and fight against God's will, we will never be successful and we will never have peace. And this applies in so many ways. You know, like there's some things that God commands us to do that we just don't want to do that we just don't want to do. Like, if there is someone who has greatly offended me, and I just do, do not want to forgive them. This person, I do not want to forgive. This person, I hate this person. And I feel almost justified in hating them. But we will never find peace. We will never find comfort or consolation in this because we are rejecting the will of God, and instead we are opposing our own will on him. Here, Moses is finally surrendering and saying, "What? Well, don't be afraid. Stand still. Like, don't do anything. There's nothing for us to do. We're in a place now where there's no way we can save ourselves. There's n we have no army to fight. We have no weapons to fight. We have no place to hide. And, and Moses certainly at this point did not even understand why. He didn't understand how is it that God would save them, you know? Like, there wasn't a clear path of salvation here. There were the, it, it wouldn't have occurred to the mind of Moses that we're going to go through the sea. But that's the way that God is going to save them. At no point ever up until this time had God, you know, s split any body of water. Um, no one has seen God do that yet at this point. And yet Moses didn't have to know. Because sometimes we become, when we're even when we're asking God for a solution to a problem, we're trying to think of the solution and we're trying to find the solution and we're trying to give God suggestions for the solution. Moses had no solution. There was no solution and he didn't even care there was a solution or not he still said do not be afraid stand still and see the salvation of the lord because the salvation will come the god that led us all the way to this point he didn't do all those things to for us to lead us to this point to let us to perish it doesn't make any sense right there's there, there's no there's no sense in god making us all the way to come to here and then finally, at this last moment, when we're about to be freed of the Egyptians, to let us to perish. So Moses knew for sure that God would respond somehow, even though he didn't know how. He didn't know what exactly God was going to do. And he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Like, in, don't grumble against God, but see this is an opportunity to strengthen your faith, to see how much God cares for you, that he is going to defeat Pharaoh even now. Even as he has defeated him all these many times, he is going to defeat him now, which he will accomplish for you today. And then he goes on and says, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. He like understood God is going to completely destroy them. You will never see them again. They will never have anything to do with your life. 
They are not going to be your taskmasters or your owners or anything ever again. You are free from them, right? Put them behind you and just trust in the work of God. So here Moses, he didn't know, and yet he still believed. And this was really a big transformational time for Moses. He goes on and he says, the Lord will fight for you and you shall keep your peace, right? The Lord is fighting. And we sometimes don't think in terms of the Lord fighting. We, s we think of ter in the terms of the Lord is sitting up in heaven somewhere and he's just sitting there and we don't know what he's doing, right? And I feel like I'm fighting. I feel like I'm the one who has to deal with issues and situations and problems and people and, 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 and circumstances that are difficult for me. I feel like I'm thrown into the fight and I'm doing all this stuff and God is just watching. That's what it feels like sometimes. God is just watching and we are fighting. But here Moses says the Lord is the one fighting and he says actually to the people, you stand still. You are the ones who shouldn't fight because your fight is irrelevant. Your fight is insignificant. There is nothing for you to do in the fight. How are you going to stand up against like this army? You can't. So you stand still. You have peace. You just wait for God to act and waiting not in terror, waiting not like with anxiety and stress and waiting in peace. Just wait in peace and let God fight for you. God will fight. God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Even when Pharaoh looks ferocious and, and powerful and dangerous, but don't give in to the fear. Instead, place your faith and trust in God because he is the one who fights. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Notice also, like we said, that God does not reveal what's about to happen. God wants to give opportunities for us to grow in faith. And if God always told us everything that was about to happen, it kind of stifles those opportunities. If God were to tell Moses and all of the people, before Pharaoh came, he's going to tell them, look, Pharaoh's going to come, and that exactly at this time, I'm going to make the, the seats apart, and you're going to pass through, and nothing's going to happen to you. What if God had done so? We would wish that he does. But, but it stifles the opportunities for us to exercise faith whenever God tells us exactly what he's about to do. So here in this circumstance, God wanted to see and wanted the people to have faith even when there appeared no reason for them be to feel safe in that moment it felt dangerous to them but they wanted to they god wanted them to learn to trust them even in the midst of danger right and so here he's telling moses what to do to 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 lift his rod and to part the seed so that they may cross saint augustine he says about this he says this people of god freed from a great and broad egypt is led as through the red sea that in baptism it may make an end of its enemies for by the sacrament, as it were of the Red Sea, that is by baptism consecrated with the blood of Christ, the pursuing Egyptians, the sins are washed away. And this again is the analogy between the crossing of the Red Sea and baptism, is that just as the Egyptians are flooded out and washed away and destroyed in the Red Sea that are pursuing uh, the Israelites, so also in, in the life of a Christian, that through the power and the sacrament of baptism, that we are enabled to put away an old life, a sinful life, and that these pursuing sins and pursuing temptations will lose their power in the midst of 
um, the waters of baptism. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. It's like God is saying they will see that I am actually God and not Pharaoh is God. Like I am the one with authority and not Pharaoh. Pharaoh is leading all of you into destruction, right? But God is the one who is leading his people um, out of danger. And the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. Okay, so the pillar that was leading them forward moved. So now it is between them and the Egyptians. So it is like a wall, a barrier between them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all night. So all night this was happening, and the sea was parting, and the Egyptians or the Israelites were crossing. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and it made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. You know, some people, they try to explain the parting of the Red Sea from scientific perspective. And they try to find scientific phenomena that could potentially explain the crossing of the Red Sea. And while men, maybe someone can think of something that would cause, you know, a strong wind to come and maybe push the water or change the tides and whatnot, but the, the terminology here is that you have a wall of water. Like the Red Sea is, is deep and you have a wall of water on the one side and a wall of water on the other side. It is not, the, the, the term wall, right? It's not, it's not just like a, like a gradually deepening sea. It's, it's a wall. It's like something has cut through it and now allowed these people to walk through it. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. You know, Pharaoh, he could have again looked at this and said, okay, this is, this is too much. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't match this. I can't, I, it's best, let's just go back, okay? Because this is, this is greater than anything we've ever seen. He refuses to accept that God is, who is doing this is greater than him. He wants to put himself at the same level as God, that this God cannot do anything more than me. I am just as powerful as this God. I am able to chase after the people of this God and destroy them. I don't believe that God is going to stop me because I am so powerful because um, I am Pharaoh. So he was not afraid to, 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 to go right into the sea and, 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 and to chase after them. Um, also, like from, from, a, from a spiritual perspective, when you think about the crucifixion, Satan was not afraid of the crucifixion because he didn't understand it. He didn't understand what it was. He didn't understand how God was using the crucifixion for the salvation of the people. When, when, when Satan was in Hades and who has all of the souls of every single human being who had ever lived were all in Hades, right? And he did not understand that it was through the cross that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to descend into Hades and take all the people who were in prison there away. He didn't. He, this is why when he looked at it, even though it was a source of great power, even it was like the, the most important event in human history, the crucifixion, and yet Satan looked at it and he was like, he, he thought he had won, you know? 
he thought that he had won. He, 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 didn't, he didn't see the power of God manifested in the crucifixion. He saw that there was a man who was dying, right? A man whom some people claimed to be a savior, who some people said to be a prophet. He looked at him, and he was confused at what he saw, but he certainly didn't realize that this was going to be a moment of salvation for all of humanity. And so he looked at it, and he wasn't afraid. Same thing here, like Pharaoh, he looks at this parting of the Red Sea, and he's like, he's not, he's not afraid of it. He doesn't see it as a source of danger for him to the point where he just runs right into it, believing that he can still conquer and win. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty and the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea. Now they had crossed. Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots, and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And we read about this in Psalm 74 when it says, You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea serpents and the waters. You broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Right? Gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. God completely destroyed and devoured um, the Egyptians in the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. You know, a problem with this is that even though they look at this moment now, just as in all the previous times where they saw God conquering their enemies, and it says here the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord, and yet again, we will see many, many, many times during the next 40 years of them wand wandering in the wilderness. Actually, God never even intended for them to wander in the wilderness. God intended for them to go straight into the promised land. But it was because of their lack of faith that they wandered because they didn't want to go into the promised land. They were afraid of the promised land. And in all of the, the doubts and the disobedience of the people that are going to happen over the next 40 years, they see all of this and yet they forget and they don't want to believe. This is actually why God is going to wait for this entire generation of people to die before allowing them to go into the promised land. That's why it was the 40 years. He waited for this generation to completely die so that the next generation, those people who what, were born in the wilderness, those people who knew nothing but the providence of God, because how is it that they would eat? They would eat because God would bring manna from heaven. How is it they would drink? Because God brings water from a rock. How is it that they would their clothes would not um, get worn out? It is the work of God. And in every way, those people were far more obedient to God than this generation. So we're going to see, as we continue studying the book of Exodus, that almost in every chapter and every event, you see people are 
being disobedient to God, even still now, even after seeing this. And again, we are the same as them. I'm, I'm not trying to say that we are better than them. We see the work of God. We know the word of God. We see everything that God does and continues to do. And yet, in the moments of temptation, we still fall into sin. And, 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 and maybe we doubt and we're worried and we're anxious and we're afraid, just like them. So I think if, if we were to liken ourselves to either to Moses at this point or to the Israelites, maybe we're closer to the Israelites, and it's something for us to think and meditate on, is if we see the work of God and the power of God and the love of God as we do, why is it that we find it so difficult to trust him in difficult situations? Yes. Even after this generation passes away and they, they go into the promised land, eventually the judges come along and then the judges leave and then we have a king. But it's really like, it's kind of the, like the same theme. They, they believe, but then they, then they go back to their evil ways and then they believe out of fear and then they go back. And it's, I feel like it's just like a seesaw. It goes back and forth. You're right. And that is the theme of humanity, right? That is the theme of all of humanity for all of us all the time. And the more that we see those themes in the lives of these people, the more we can see them in ourselves. And the more that we look at maybe the way that they are acting and we're kind of saying like, you know, why don't you believe? Like, don't you see the work of God? And they got to see the work of God with their eyes, you know, physically. And even that was, you know, it, it, didn't, it, it didn't make them to believe for a very long time before they turned back again. So... God now giving us the Holy Spirit wants us to believe. He wants us to communicate with him and to see him and to talk to him and to know him and to trust him, um, not because we see miracles, but because we hear the voice of God, but because we know God's presence in us, but because we, we, we see the plan of salvation that God has prepared for all of us. So um, that's why we study this. You know, We don't study it just because we want to know history. We study it because we are living this history even now. Any questions? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O God, for this day. We ask, O God, for your mercy upon us and for all the ways, O Lord, that we are disobedient to you and we turn away from you and we do contrary to your commandments. We ask, O God, that you increase our faith and you help us to see your love and power and to help us O lord to spread the word of your love to all of the world so that they might see you O lord and glorify you and come to your church for salvation we thank you O god because you give us the example of moses as a person O lord who started grumbling O lord and afraid and confused and yet you transformed him and changed him to be a person of great faith and an arch prophet one whom we respect and look to O lord as one who trusts you in all things Help us, O Lord, to have his faith and help us, O Lord, to endure to the end of our lives faithfully, uh, seeking you, O Lord, at all times and praying, O Lord, every day, asking for your mercy and salvation upon us. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you.